Let me ask you to open your Bibles this morning to the book of Luke, chapter 2. We'll begin our sermon. Luke, chapter 2. Luke, chapter 2, and we'll begin reading in verse number 11. As you can see by the outline that you have, and those of you at home, you can see the title on the screen. The sermon today is called The Personalities of Peace. The Personalities of Peace. Luke 2, and we'll begin reading in verse number 11. If you're familiar with the chapter, this is, this is the day that Jesus was born. <clears throat> it says in verse 11, For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. And this shall be a sign unto you, Ye shall find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. What a peaceful scene that must have been. I don't know why I've always pictured this manger scene as you come into the, in the evening, in the cool of the evening, and there lies the baby Jesus. And for some reason, I cannot picture him crying. <laughs> I just picture it nice and calm and still and peaceful. Verse 13, and suddenly... There was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. If you would bow your heads with me, let's ask God to help us this morning. Father, we come to you in Jesus' name and we thank you for this wonderful peace that you have provided for us. You sent your Son to this earth, this world filled with chaos and confusion and conflict and and you came to show us how to have this peace the peace that passes all understanding help us this morning God guide us direct us by your spirit help me to preach and give all of us ears to hear Lord might this peace settle down into our hearts and come through in our lives in every aspect we ask for your help in Jesus name amen amen let me direct your attention to verse number 14 again All the heavenly host praising God, and they say, glory to God in the highest. Well, that's the right place to start, amen. Let's start by praising God. Glory to God in the highest. Why are these angels rejoicing in such a fashion? They're standing in awe of God's greatness, that's His glory, because by sending His Son to the earth, this is the greatest act of love, mercy, and kindness that can be imagined to take the very best of heaven and send it down to the earth even though he knew that his son was going to eventually suffer God was happy to do it to redeem mankind and the angels rejoice to see God manifesting his greatness in this way and then their direction shifts they started in the right place glory to God and on earth they say peace What's the message to mankind? Through God's greatness, He is manifesting His Son, which is going to show us the way of peace. Anytime you introduce a dignitary, a king, maybe you've seen it in the movies or read it in the storybooks. Hear ye, hear ye, now cometh, and then they give the big introduction. If we were to do this for Jesus, I believe we could slip in Isaiah chapter 9 verse 6 you folks familiar with that verse hear ye hear ye unto us a child is born unto us a son is given and the government shall be upon his shoulder and his name shall be called and everybody leans in with expectant ear wonderful And you can almost feel the excitement of the crowd begin to build as the names pile on. Wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father. And then this final one they saved for last, the Prince of Peace. Wrapped up in this little child that's born. Let me mention here that Jesus, as God sends him into the world, God's very aware of the need of the world. This world, as I mentioned in my prayer, is filled with chaos, conflict, and confusion. And all three of those things destroy peace.
peace. And the peace that Jesus came to offer to the world is not a generic, natural peace that can be generated by any other man. The type of peace that he has to offer, I'm going to call it a pure peace. You see, when you study back in the book of Genesis chapter 11, you find that the people of the world at one point tried to unite. They built a great tower. And they said, let's all be one people. God came down and saw their efforts and said, they will accomplish this. They were going to find unity. They were going to achieve peace. But here's the problem with their endeavor. The peace and unity that they were going to achieve did not include God. That's the problem. It wasn't a pure peace. It wouldn't have been a godly peace. The peace that God intends for us to have is predicated always on righteousness. Unity is a wonderful thing, but it's not the end goal. The end goal is unity with God. And as it pertains to your fellow man, unity through God. To be properly yoked together in fellowship with your brothers and sisters in Christ. James chapter 3 verse 17 says this, The wisdom that is from above, listen, is first pure, then peaceable. You see, the wisdom that is from above, the learning that God wants to offer you, first pure, then peaceable. The verse goes on to say, gentle and easy to be entreated, full of mercy and good fruits, without partiality, without hypocrisy. This is the kind of peace that God desires for us to have. Pure, then peace. You maybe have studied in Hebrews this man, Melchizedek. People often are intrigued by this man. Who was he? What was he? He's a very interesting figure because of what we find in in Hebrews chapter 7. Can I just draw your attention to his name? The writer of Hebrews saw this. He said his name is Melchizedek and he is the king of Salem. And then in Hebrews 7 verse 2 it points out, first being by interpretation king of righteousness. That's what the name Melchizedek means, king of righteousness. And then that same verse says, After that also, he's the king of Salem. Salem means peace. First, righteousness, then peace. So Jesus, when he comes into the world, you see in verse number 14, on earth, peace, goodwill toward men. This is God making a righteous, pure, gentle, loving overture towards the chaotic, conflicted, confused people of the world. This is an act of God's kindness, goodwill towards you. We don't deserve this sort of help. God would have been completely, if he's only concerned with righteousness and justice, God could have stepped away and said, you created these problems, you deal with it. But God, out of an act of grace, says, let me take the first step, show you some goodwill. I want to help. If you would, just look back one chapter, Luke chapter 1, Luke chapter 1, verse 76. John the Baptist has been born, and his father, a man named Zacharias, who was a priest, he is performing the baby dedication for his own son. And he had several wonderful things to say. Verse 76, let's begin there. It says, and thou, child shall be called the prophet of the highest. For thou shalt go before the face of the Lord to prepare his ways, to give knowledge of salvation unto his people by the remission of their sins through the tender mercy of our God, whereby the day spring from on high hath visited us. Do you see in this baby dedication, Zacharias was addressing his son, John the Baptist, but then he switches his focus to the the Messiah himself. God has visited us, sent the Messiah. John is going to be the forerunner. He's going to announce that 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 the Messiah has come. Notice carefully verse number 79 and 
It says here, to give light to them that sit in darkness and in the shadow of death, to guide our feet into the way of peace. He says the Messiah is going to come. He's going to bring salvation. It's the tender mercy of God that's making this happen. And he's going to guide our feet into the way of peace. Now, as far as I can see, there are four ways, right? North, south, east, west. I'm going to use those, that, that number four, and I'm giving you today four different directions, if you will, on peace, four different aspects of it. I'm calling them the personalities of peace. We're going to look at four different versions of it. So number one, number one, uh, and you'll have to grant me a little bit of artistic license here. I, I'm, I'm having to fiddle with the English just a little bit to make it work, but you'll see as the outline goes on, this is really clever. The first one, peace acres. Peace acres. Let me spell it. A-C-H-E-R-S. Acres. So Brother Mike, what in the world are you talking about? The definition of the word ache, a continuous or prolonged pain in a part of the body. Chances are you have brought some sort of an ache to church this morning, haven't you? <laughs> right? We, we feel this all the time. The first aspect or personality of peace, we are by definition, by human definition, all of us are peace acres. Here's what I mean by that. Our heart is continually yearning, searching for, desiring to be guided into peace. We're always looking for it. Every single person on the planet feels this pain, this continual prolonged pain in right here, this part of the body. I desire, I need peace. At some point in your life, you'll be looking for it. The Bible says in Romans chapter 8, for we know that the whole creation groaneth and travaileth in pain together until now. The next verse, Paul went on to say, even we ourselves groan within ourselves, waiting for the adoption to wit the redemption of our body. It is gen generally acknowledged we all need this peace. We seek it. We seek something that transcends the peace that the world has to offer. Anybody can be happy when everything's going well. What we seek is a peace that passes all understanding, that when the storm is raging violently, you're still able to calmly go through that storm. That's the peace that we ache for. All of us seek it. All of us need it. I think when Jesus came to the earth, as we read here, he came to show people, to guide our feet into the way of peace. He showed this over and over again. He acknowledged that we are peace acres. We read a story in Mark chapter 5 about a lady who was afflicted for 12 years with an issue of blood, the Bible says. And as this lady I can only assume as I read the story that she was crawling through the crowd because by the time she got to Jesus, she reached out and grabbed the hem of his garment. So she's down, down near the ground. Desperation. Do, do you see? Can you picture that in your mind? She's crawling through a busy crowd of people. That she's, the Bible says she spent all of her living on physicians and was none the better. Are you familiar with that feeling? <laughs> For 12 years, she has this conflict, this chaos, this confusion. God, why are you doing this? Why are you allowing this? Why won't you help me with this? I've gone to every doctor. I've spent every piece of money I have. Please, I'm so desperate. She crawls through the crowd, grabs a hold of Jesus, and immediately the Bible says something began to happen. You know what's wonderful about that story? It doesn't stop there. It, it impresses me that just by grabbing the hem of his garment, she received help. But what impresses me further is what Jesus did next. He stopped. He's busy on his way going to Jairus' house to help someone else. He stopped. He said, who touched me? He's individually concerned about the lack of peace in somebody's heart. 
her physical problem is now taken care of. If that's all Jesus cared about, he could have just kept walking. But he stops and says, who touched me? And the woman down there by his feet, it's obvious that it's her. He turns to her and says, daughter, thy faith hath made thee whole. Listen to this part. Go in peace and be whole of thy plague. You see, if she reaches out, grabs on, she might have been able to feel something change. But there probably would have been some lingering thoughts in her mind. Is this temporary? Did I abuse his kindness? Was it okay to do what I did? By stopping and saying, daughter, be of good comfort. Daughter, go in peace. Now this peace that passes all understanding, she knows that she can approach this busy man and find not only physical help, but emotional help as well. I find another illustration fitting for this topic as far as it pertains to peace acres. Here we have Jesus hanging on the cross in Luke chapter 23. Two thieves, one on either side. I'm sure you're familiar with the story. Jesus was on the cross for six hours. Three hours into the time, one of the thieves repented. This man, as far as we can tell, had never been on the right path. He had been devoid of righteousness. He'd been devoid of purity. He was a thief. He was a, the Bible calls him a malefactor, which is a fancy way of saying a really bad guy. <laughs> he turns to Jesus and he says, Lord, remember me when thou comest into thy kingdom. And Jesus turns to him and says, today you'll be with me in paradise. That thief lasted three more hours on the cross. And I'm going to say for the last three hours, he hung there in physical pain, but with a peace that passed all understanding. To say, I have lived a horrible life and I don't deserve for God to have mercy on me, but this man who's hanging next to me, who doesn't deserve what he's getting. I deserve what I'm getting. This man just promised me that I would be in paradise today. Oh, what a peace. You talk about showing a man the way of peace. Jesus is individually and intimately concerned with the peace that you are lacking and that you need. He acknowledges that we are peace acres. So he, he came to provide this eternal, spiritual, interpersonal, and personal peace. You understand what I mean by that? Eternal peace. We know where we're going to be when we die, live with God forever. Spiritual peace. I know right now my standing with God, I have been justified. I have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Interpersonal peace. I can get along with people if I apply the teachings of Jesus Christ and personal peace. I can look at my life and instead of beating myself up and feeling guilty all the time, I can look at it and say, God, I've done the very best I can to bring it in line with what you require and that's as much as I can do. I'm satisfied. He has made all of that possible. He did that through paying for our sins by allowing himself to be sacrificed making that atonement, but then leaving us all the teachings we need to satisfy this long-standing ache that we have for peace. Now, if Jesus acknowledged that all of us are peace acres, don't you think it would help if we also recognize it with each other? As you deal with people throughout the week and months and years to come, remember, there's a good chance that this person is experiencing chaos, conflict, and confusion. Therefore, let me deal gently. Let me try to make some peace for this person. Now, before we talk more about peacemaking, number two on your list, we've talked about the peace acres. Here's point number two peace breakers. Peace breakers. If you would, turn in your Bibles to Luke chapter 12, please. Luke chapter 12. If I might unpack that title a little bit, anything and anyone 
at any time can potentially be a peace breaker. Let's be clear about this. Even today, you could, with, with no ill intentions, be a peace breaker. Because any deviation from what is expected can sometimes take away your peace. Do you understand what I mean by that? Have you ever been in a bit of a hurry to get from point A to point B and you need to make the light and the 15 cars in front of you caught the green light but as you are getting there it starts to turn yellow and you know oh man red and you have to stop now if it's just one red light you know we're all patient enough to deal with that aren't we but then when when the light turns green you get going and you think okay I I can still make it and just when you're about to get to the next intersection, intersection it goes yellow. And you think, oh, I'm not going to make it again. And you got to stop. Now, you see, that, that robot is a peace breaker. <laughs> it is a deviation from what is expected. In this case, what is sorely needed. Anything can be a peace breaker. Anyone. COVID regulations can be peace breakers. Here's a good time to practice that amen through your COVID regulation. (laughs) Losing a job can be a peace breaker. A sickness at any level can be a peace breaker. Odd behavior from the people around you can be a peace breaker. I know wherever I speak, and I'm sure all of you as well, you've experienced this to certain degrees, but... When you stand up and speak to people on a weekly basis, you you get used to this a little bit. But I promise you, if you were to come up here just for a few minutes and and watch, if you're preaching and somebody's doing this, that is a peace breaker right there. (laughs) It's hard to preach through that. This is one of the blessings of the mask. I don't know if you're smiling, frowning. I don't know. I don't know. But it's a peace breaker. Have you ever been talking to somebody and and you saw their face just like they ate a lemon? Do one of those, you know, oh, what happened? Peace breaker, peace breaker. Now, it it may not be that they're angry, right? Maybe a bee stung them, we don't know, but any deviation from what is expected can be a peace breaker. Let me give you an odd verse for this topic. Look at Luke 12, verse 51. Luke 12, verse 51. Jesus says, Suppose ye that I am come to give peace on earth? All right, now let's stop right there. Don't read the rest. How would you answer that? Yes. Let's see what Jesus answered. I tell you nay. Oh, (laughs) I wasn't expecting that. Suppose ye that I am come to give peace on earth, I tell you nay, but rather division. What? Now how does that square up with what we already saw in Luke chapter 1? He's here to guide our feet into the way of peace and says, don't think that I came to bring peace. What? Look at verse 52. For from henceforth there shall be five in one house. What's the next word? Divided. Three against two and two against three. Verse 53, the father shall be divided against the son and the son against the father. The mother against the daughter, the daughter against the mother. Mother Mother-in-law against her daughter-in-law. That's to be expected. And the daughter-in-law against her (laughs) mother-in-law. Let's work out what you might see as a bit of a contradiction. Let's be careful to properly understand what Jesus is talking about when he says, I came not to bring peace but division. Jesus came. John chapter 18 says this. Jesus said it. I came to bear witness unto the truth. And whenever you climb a mountain and plant a flag and say, this is the truth, some will believe and some will not. And In such cases, despite your best intentions, divisions are going to happen. Without even trying, you become a peace breaker. It was never the intention of Jesus to divide people. How do we know this? Luke chapter 1, 
He came to guide our feet into the way of peace. He came to reconcile sinners to God and sinners to sinners. That's the will of God. That's the desire, the heart of God. But Jesus is also very realistic and he knows by coming to the earth and making these very definitive claims, I am the way, the truth, the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. I am the door. By me, if any man enter in, he shall be saved. Except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Do you see how there's very little wiggle room there for disagreement? By making these definitive claims, some will believe, some won't, and it will affect the peace that people can have. That's where the divisions were coming from that Jesus is speaking about in Luke chapter 12. Three people in the house will believe, the other two will not, and there will be some division. Take your Bible, if you would, turn to Ephesians chapter 4. Let me give you one further thought on this. Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians 4, verse number 15. Ephesians 4, and verse number 15. This is our biblical responsibility within the body of Christ. This is how we grow. This is how we learn. When somebody has made a mistake, we don't approach them out of hatred. We don't approach them with anger or wrath. But verse 15 says, speaking the truth in love. What do we accomplish when we do that? May grow up into Him in all things, which is the head, even Christ. It is our biblical responsibility to speak the truth, but be careful because verse six, uh, 15 says we must do it with love. Do you see that? That balance there? What is our desire? To help people grow into Christ. That's our desire. So while we are busy speaking the truth in love, we recognize that when we approach someone else with a biblical truth, that the possibility exists that they may not accept that truth. And we might be viewed as a peace breaker. So let me also share with you verses 2 and 3. Ephesians 4, verse 2 and 3. Same chapter. Paul says, with all lowliness and meekness, with long-suffering, forbearing one another in love. Do you see that phrase, forbearing one another? Let me update the English for you just a little bit. We put up with each other. And we know my brother, my sister, they're just human. And if I were in their shoes, I would want somebody to let me know if I'm going off the path somehow, but I'd really want them to do it patiently. I'd want them to tell me, but I'd want them to tell me in love. Verse 3, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Do you see how in one chapter, Paul acknowledges what we are striving to retain. Endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. We want to keep that, but we can't ignore the truth that needs to be spoken in love. Sometimes people will take that as you being the peace breaker. Let, let me ask you this. In, in Galatians 2, when Paul, the Bible says he withstood Peter to his face. You remember that? And in Galatians 2, it says he did it before everybody. Folks, can I ask you to please just Work that out in your mind for a moment. I, I will not do it this morning. <laughs> Could you imagine if I were to call forth one of our members this morning, one of the leaders in our church, stand them in front of the congregation and dress them down. Are you familiar with that term? That, that's not a literal term. I'm not going to dress him. You get that. Okay. <laughs> That, that, that's a military term in America. To dress them down is to chew them out and to say, you, what you did here is wrong. Do you believe that Paul's intentions 
were malicious? Do you think that Paul, when he did that, was trying to hurt Peter and cause trouble? No, he wasn't trying to cause division. He wasn't trying to break the peace. He was trying to tell the truth. He was trying to help Peter and help everybody else understand that this behavior is not acceptable because it doesn't line up with the gospel. It doesn't line up with the truth of the gospel. He said, well, Brother Mike, I want to endeavor to keep this bond of peace and I want to speak the truth, so what, what can I do? I really don't like conflict. Who does? I take that back. Some people do. Some people do. But generally speaking, we, we don't want to be in conflict with everybody around us. But we also realize we have to speak the truth. What do we do? You have to check the intentions of your heart as you say what you say. And if the other person doesn't interpret correctly your intentions, that's not your fault. You still need to do as much as you can to help that person. They may misunderstand why you're doing it, but your responsibility as you approach them is to make sure in your heart, I am truly, genuinely trying to help. I'm saying what I'm saying out of concern, out of love, and regardless of how this other person reacts, I'm still gonna love them. You have to, your responsibility is your heart. You're trying to help. Paul acknowledged this in Philippians chapter one. He said some people, when they preach the gospel, they do it out of envy, strife, and contention. He said other people preach the gospel out of goodwill and they do it sincerely. Do you see how one message can be used in two different ways? Some people can take the gospel and use it to start arguments. Some people can stand to preach biblical truth from a pulpit and do it with anger. They do it just to, he's wrong, I'm right, and they're just trying to win an argument. Something's wrong in the heart. He is breaking peace using truth to do it. In Proverbs chapter 6, can I ask you to turn there? Proverbs chapter 6, one final word on peace breaking. Sometimes you'll be the peace breaker and it's not your intention. I ask you, please check your heart. Make sure your motives are right. Make sure that the thing you want to mention is actually worth mentioning. But on the subject of peace breaking, Proverbs 6, verse number 14, in the passage, Solomon is talking about the wicked man. He says frowardness is in his heart. Do you understand what frowardness is? Frowardness is, <laughs> a froward man is a jerk. A froward man, he will always argue for the sake of arguing. He's always against everything that you're trying to do. He's, he's difficult. He's a difficult person. Frowardness is in his heart. He deviseth mischief continually. He soweth discord. Now, I'll use different English there. Sowing discord. He's breaking the peace. He's just trying to stir up trouble. And it doesn't matter if he's using truth to do it just to start an argument or if he's slandering or if he's whispering or if he's gossiping. Maybe he's telling truth to people that don't need to hear that truth and thereby sowing discord. This man is a peace breaker. He is in intentionally trying to rip people apart. I want you to see how serious God takes this. Look at verse 16. These six things doth the Lord hate. Yea, seven are an abomination unto him, a proud look, a lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood, and heart that deviseth wicked imaginations, feet that be swift in running to mischief, a false witness that speaketh lies. This is a fairly rough list. Look at the last one. And he that soweth discord among brethren. I point this out. Sometimes peace breaking, it's not your intention. Oh, but please understand, if you are guilty, if you are guilty of intentionally breaking the peace, this is something God takes very seriously. It pains God deeply deeply. 
to see somebody breaking people apart. Our motive, our intention is what? Endeavoring to keep the unity. Now, this brings me to point number three. You can turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter five, please. We've looked at peace acres. We've talked about peace breakers. And now we're gonna speak about peacemakers. Matthew five, verse number nine. Matthew five and nine. And obviously this, this flows naturally from my second point. The opposite of breaking the peace would be making the peace. And as I've mentioned already, I'm going to build on what I've already said. You might have the intention of making peace and yet be interpreted as the breaker thereof. Still more, Jesus has given us instruction on how we can go about making peace. And I want to share the three I've written on your outline there. Uh, Peacemaking requires three things. And we're going to take a look at those three now. But Matthew 5, verse number 9, Jesus said, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the children of God. What does peacemaking have to do with being children of God? That's, you remember when Jesus said, I must be about my Father's business? This is the Father's business, making peace between the sinner and God and between one sinner and another. That's what God is interested to do, to reconcile, to bring people together, to take the barrier that is between them, remove it so that we can have peace, love, joy, fellowship, unity. God desires that. And anyone else that is endeavoring to do that can rightfully be called a follower, a child of God. Blessed are the peacemakers. Jesus said this in Matthew 18. We we recently uh, studied this in Bible school. Matthew 18, verse 7, he said, it must needs be that offenses come. Now, that is an unfortunate truth, but isn't it true? It must needs be that offenses come. So guess what? Somebody's going to offend you eventually. Purposely, not on purpose, one way or the other, it's going to happen. So instead of ignoring it, Let's first, let's learn how to deal with it when it does happen. Let's try to avoid doing it. (laughs) But how do we handle it when it happens? Interestingly enough, in that same chapter, Matthew 18, he says in verse 7, it must needs be that offenses come. In verse 15, Jesus says, if your brother trespasses against you, what do you do? You go to him. You know what Jesus did? He taught us how to resolve conflicts. He taught us how to have peace with God, yes, and he taught us how to have peace with each other. So here's the first one. I have three H's. Do you see them on your paper? Three H's. Step one, you have to be honest. You have to approach your brother, your sister, whoever it is that you have a problem with, you have to approach them with all honesty. Let me unpack that one step further. When I say honesty, yes, I mean truth, and yes, I do indicate that you need to be prepared to show them from the Bible why you believe that that situation was wrong. But I think even more than that, what I'm trying to say with honesty, be honest about how you feel. When you approach that person, tell them honestly, not angrily, honestly. Brother, sister, what you said, it hurt me. And I could have misunderstood the situation. That's honesty. I might be wrong about this, but I'm just letting you know that hurt me. You see, honesty. Husbands and wives, please apply this principle. Spending a life together under one roof, eventually somebody's going to get on the other person's nerves. Amen, Brother Mike. Yeah, I, I thought so. <laughs> when that happens, be honest. Be honest. Number two, the second H, honor. Honor that person. Let me unpack that just briefly. That person you're dealing with, 
at the most basic level is a fellow human being. Say, well, yeah, that's obvious, big deal. Well, that, that is a big deal, actually, because that fellow human being was made in the image of God. And therefore, listen to this part, has value. Has great value. That person is not a dog. Say, so why bring this up? I believe the popular Afrikaans term here is futsak. When you treat a person in that sense, you are treating them like a beast and not a person. Show them the level of respect that is due unto them. You say, well, you don't know what they've said and done. They're still human and therefore worthy of your respect. They have an inherent value that will never go away because as broken as this image is, they were still made in the image of God. Let's go a little deeper. If that person is saved, a brother or sister in Christ, then that deserves another level of respect, another level of honor. Paul said it like this, great verse, Romans 12, verse 10. Be kindly affectioned one to another with brotherly love in honor, preferring one another. So I look to that brother or sister in Christ and say, I recognize, number one, you're made in the image of God. Number two, the Holy Spirit resides within you. We are in the same family. Not just human family. We're in the body of Christ together. So the same spirit that's working in you is also working in me. And I'll treat you as such. I want to go to that person honestly but also respectfully. Now the third H, humility. Humility. You see, I'm going to be honest. I'm going to be honest with you because I respect you. If I go to you and, forgive me for using the phrase, pull my punches. Do, do we know what, I, what that phrase means? If I go to you and I sugarcoat the thing, and I fail to tell you exactly how much I'm hurt by what you said or did, then what I'm doing is saying, I don't think you can handle the truth, so I'm going to hide the truth from you. I'm showing you a lack of respect by not being honest. So my, my respect for you brings with it, it the, the proper honesty. But I cannot forget the third H, and that is humility. Humility. I'm going to be honest. I will honor you. And when I'm talking with you, I have to remain humble. Both parties, the offender and the offendee, have to have this third H especially. I find it interesting, you know, especially as a preacher, I, I'm prone to this. I've had to be very careful to check my heart, and I've learned a lot about this as the years have gone on. I must admit, I, I think I owe plenty of people an apology on this because I've grown, I've, I've matured as time has gone on. We can get so firm in our position. The Bible says, Phoom. and I plant my flag on that hill and I say, there it is, I'm right. And if you don't agree with me, you're wrong. Let me give you one Bible doctrine that very few people talk about but is always true, the doctrine of fallibility. That's a nice big theological word. We, we like to use those words so that you don't know what we're talking about. <laughs> the doctrine of fallibility, what, what is that? It's simply this, you can be wrong. Did you know that is a Bible doctrine? <laughs> you, as a human being, can be wrong. There is the possibility that you misunderstood the situation. You misunderstood that other person's intentions. You didn't understand what they meant by what they said. Maybe you didn't understand that verse that you read. So as I am speaking with that other person, I'm not going to be overly angry because they're human and they can make a mistake. They're fallible. But me too. So not only do I want to be honest with them, but then I want to sit and patiently listen 
to their side of the story. Maybe they can help me better understand that situation. Maybe I can learn that what I was upset about was actually my fault. I misunderstood it and I'm the one that needed to come right, not them. That will only happen if you genuinely have some humility. Folks, if I can, I've underlined this in my notes. I wanted to emphasize this statement. A genuine apology can be an incredibly powerful thing. A genuine apology can be an incredibly powerful thing. I'm sure all of us have experienced this where you've been talking with somebody that will never accept the fact that they might have been wrong. And that is the most frustrating type of person to deal with. That is the froward man from Proverbs 6. He or she is difficult. They won't listen. There's no humility. But the person that recognizes their own fallibility and says, I could have been wrong. I'm sorry. You can work with that. You can have that relationship come right. Now, you can do as much as you can to bring a thing right. Yes? Do as much as you can. In Matthew 18, Jesus says you go to the one that offended you, you talk with him. Maybe he doesn't hear you. He doesn't get it. It's not resolved. Then you bring two or three others. You get some advice. You chat. Why? We're endeavoring to keep the peace. We're working hard to make this right. It doesn't, doesn't work. Then you take it to the church. It doesn't work. And unfortunately... Jesus said, sometimes it's going to get so bad, you won't even be able to fellowship with that person anymore. Say, then I failed to be a peacemaker. Not necessarily. The Apostle Paul said it like this, as much as lies within you, live peaceably with all men. Do as much as you can to make peace. The other person may not accept the situation as you're presenting it, but you can at least go to bed at night knowing I did as much as I could to make peace. The Bible commands us in one place, seek peace and ensue it. Seek peace and ensue it. Desire to be a peacemaker. You've got to apply the three H's for that. And then lastly, I want to bring you to number four on the, on the outline. We've talked about a peace acre, a peace breaker, a peace maker, and now a peace taker. A peace taker. Turn in your Bibles with me, please, to John chapter 14. John chapter 14. I've actually given you this verse on the bottom of the outline, but if you would see it in your Bibles as well. John 14, verse 27. Jesus is shortly going to be going to the cross. He's preparing his disciples for his departure. He has told them that the Comforter will come, which we know is the Spirit of, the Spirit of God. In verse four, uh, 27, Jesus said, Peace I leave with you, my peace I give unto you. Not as the world giveth, give I unto you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. Here's the point I want to bring out in verse 27. Jesus said, peace I leave with you. Now you have to take it. He left it there. He made it available. But he's not going to force anybody to take it. You have to accept what he did for you on the cross and that he paid for his sins so that you can be reconciled to God and have eternal spiritual peace with God. But you also have to accept his teachings and his promises about peace so that you can enjoy it in your life, one with another and in your own heart. Listen carefully to this next part. When Jesus says you're forgiven, I love you. I'm happy with you. You need to let that sink in. You say, he'd never say that to me. Isn't it strange that we believe he might say that to somebody else, but he'd never say it to me? <laughs> I see so many heads nodding. Isn't that a strange human behavior? I think we, we all, to a certain extent, 
struggle with that, to believe God could be satisfied with somebody else, but not me. Jesus would never say to me, be of good comfort, go in peace. But he does. He does. John 16, verse 33. John 16, 33. These things I have spoken unto you, that in me ye might have peace. In the world ye shall have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. I don't need to tell you this morning that it is wrong and it is dangerous to hold grudges against other people. You know this, right? The Bible talks about the root of bitterness that can spring up and defile many. That is why when we've been offended, we are commanded to go to that person and work it out. Be ye angry and sin not. Let not the sun go down upon your wrath. Work it out. Use the teachings of Jesus Christ to make that right. You don't hold grudge, grudges. But you know one grudge that I think we're all guilty of, again, to certain extents, we hold grudges against ourselves. We might be very quick to forgive others for that same transgression, but oh man, if you only knew what I did. Yes, and I also know that if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That is a exceedingly great and precious promise. Jesus has left that offer of peace for you. You need to be a peace taker. You don't need to hold that grudge against yourself. You've heard this phrase, extending an olive branch. Is that a, I don't, does that have an Afrikaans equivalent? Do you guys use that in Afrikaans? Yes, I see some yeses there. It is a spin-off of the biblical story from Genesis 8 when Noah was about to come out of the ark. Now, this is a very small and technical difference. In the Bible, you read that the, that the dove brought an olive leaf, not an entire branch. But, guys, the message is still the same, right? Leaf, branch, either way. But extending an olive branch is one person Offering the other person peace. That's how we use the phrase, right? That's, that's the meaning of that phrase. Are you familiar with the story of Noah coming out of the ark? When the waters have abated, he's been in there for several months. And he's not sure, is it okay to move on and start a new life? He sends out a raven. Remember that? The raven goes out. What does the raven do? Raven doesn't come back. You know the raven in the Bible is a picture of a bad spirit. It's an unclean bird. A raven by its nature is ravenous. It goes from dead body to dead body and just picks the flesh off of it. It's a, it's a very nasty bird in that way. Whenever we approach people that have done us wrong with the bad with a bad attitude, we will rarely get the feedback that, we look, that we're looking for. <laughs> you send out ravens, you're going to stay in the ark a lot longer than you want. You're not going to be able to move on into that new world, into that new life. You know what Noah did? The raven never came back. He sends out a dove. You know what the dove represents in the Bible? Good spirit. Holy spirit. Right? Jesus was baptized. The Holy Spirit came down in the shape of a dove. Noah sends out the right spirit. He's doing things now according to the spirit, endeavoring to keep the unity of the spirit and the bond of peace. Here goes the dove. I'm going to try to solve this problem God's way. Guess what happens? You say, all the problems were solved. They got out of the ark. Start. Nope. The dove came back. <laughs> the dove came back and said, well, I tried but I could not find the way of peace. There was no olive branch or leaf to bring back Noah. I'm sorry. I find that fascinating. What a wonderful allegorical truth that sometimes you can extend, the, you can make efforts. You can reach out to that other person and say, please, let's make it right. And it doesn't get fixed immediately. 
Sometimes you have to have multiple conversations with that other person in order for full peace to be restored. You know what Noah did? He waited a week and sent the dove out again. Peace takes time. It takes multiple visits. It takes patience. He sent the dove out. The dove comes back with the olive leaf and Noah knows it is time for us now to move on. The dove comes back with a message with an indication of peace. But Noah, listen, he did not shoo the bird away. Could you imagine if the story would have ended like that? Sends out the dove, the dove comes back, wait a week, dove comes back now with an olive leaf and Noah says, oh, I don't deserve a new earth. I don't deserve another chance. You know, I'm a sinner just like anybody else. I'm just gonna stay in this dark ark for the rest of my... (laughs) That's not how the story ended. He accepted the peace that was offered to him and he was able to move on. I'm asking you today to be that peace taker. It might, this might speak to maybe a personal relationship in your life, but if in no other way, surely in this way, when God says to you, peace be still. When He says to you, you're accepted in the beloved. When He says to you as a father to the child, right, your spirit bears witness with His Spirit, and something in you says, I love you, you're my child, you're in my family. Let that grab a hold of your heart and give you that peace that passes all understanding. The peace is there. You need to take it. Whatever the chaos, confusion, conflict might be, Jesus has given us a way to find peace in the midst of that storm. If you would, let's all stand, please. Let's have our heads bowed and our eyes closed just for a few moments. Heads bowed, eyes closed. It's a painful reality that all humanity has to deal with. Sometimes, despite our best efforts, we can just not find a way to come right with people. That's not what God intends. That's not what Jesus intended, is it? He wanted to show people the way of peace. Some would not accept it. Jesus did his utmost to be a peacemaker. Let's now follow in that example. Blessed are the peacemakers. Examine deeply this morning your heart. What are my intentions toward that person that I'm upset with? Do I genuinely care about them, about making it right? You say, they don't interpret my intentions correctly. Well, all you can do is check your own heart. just before I close in prayer, can I ask you this? Have have you ever felt the Holy Spirit whisper in your heart, peace be still? Have, Have you known that peace that comes from being saved? From accepting Jesus Christ as the only way to God? Have you done that? If you've never accepted Him, Sinner, there is no other way 
to be reconciled to God. Your sins have separated you and God, but that can be made right. We can make peace this morning. So how do you do it? Honestly come. Honor God with this truth. Humble yourself and say, I'm a sinner. I don't deserve it, but I know you love me. And I accept the peace you're offering. Would you do that this morning? Father, thank you this morning. Thank you for sending your Son. Glory to God in the highest. Thank you for the goodwill that you showed toward men. Giving us a way to be justified in your sight. A way to make things right with each other. God, help us to turn the dial of our hearts to endeavoring for peace. Help us, God, to have that right balance of truth and grace. Thank you for caring so much about us and acknowledging the deep ache that we feel for this peace. God, guide us as we try to work with one another. Help us, God, to be patient with each other. And do what we can to live in peace. Thank you for speaking to our hearts this morning. Please have your hand upon these folks now that have come. Get them home safely. Let them enjoy each other's fellowship throughout the day. Father, help us later as we open the Word of God again. Continue to speak to us. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.